This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express Card. And we here on Savor are what you might call food explorers. It has been our actual job to go to cool places and eat, like, a lot of the food there. And then talk about it. And then talk about it into these microphones, which is a crazy dream job. Yes. Well, if you're like us and willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people like us who are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota. Let's go places. Hello and welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Annie Reese. And today we're talking about popcorn. <laughs> popcorn is one of Annie's very favorite things on the planet. It like is. she's just sitting, she's sort of vibrating right now. I know. <laughs> Lauren recently gave me some popcorn, and it had three bags in it, and I ate all three bags that day. Like, not even, it was maybe two-hour period. I I realized after I left that day that, like, maybe I shouldn't have left you with that much microwave popcorn. I can't, I can't resist. I probably mentioned popcorn at least once a day. (laughs) I don't know how. Um, I love it. Oh, it's delicious. There's a place downstairs that has really good popcorn. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. It's dangerous. I know. I every day I'm like, oh, I could, I could go down. There. They could just be there right now. And I also recently just went into a movie theater to get the popcorn, and the guy was like, "So, which he was going to direct me to the theater." I was like, "Oh no, this is just, this is all I'm <laughs> here is, for. I'm leaving. I just got my popcorn. That's all. That's all I wanted." <laughs> Um, that aside, uh, we are currently recording this uh, in November, and, and around this time of year, a lot of big movies come out. Mm-hmm. Popcorn is a thing at movie theaters. It is, and that is the thing that we will be talking about. Yeah, that story is great. Yeah, um, but also, if you're like me, maybe you just eat popcorn all the time, movie or not. Uh, you think about it all the time, movie or not. <laughs> in either case, popcorn, what is it? What is it? 
Well, it's a type of corn kernel scientifically known as Zeameus everta that when dried and then exposed to heat, pops into this lovely cloud-like thing. There are about 25 varieties of corn that do this, but the two that we use the most are rice popcorn. The kernels kind of look like rice, huh? And pearl popcorn. Guess what? They look like pearls. Weird. Yeah. So you've got the outside, this hard hull, and then outer endosperm, which surrounds the starchy white inner endosperm with an ideal moisture of about Mm 13.5%. The moisture is important because at around 212 degrees Fahrenheit or 100 degrees Celsius, the moisture turns the steam until it causes the kernel to rip apart inside out, like increasing in size by about 20 to 40 times, giving you popcorn. Handling and exposure to air can impact the moisture content, which is why you're advised to store kernels in an airtight container if the package has been opened until you're ready to pop them. Uh, that's because the steam alone will not make a popcorn kernel explode. Every successful kernel of popcorn is a tiny pressure cooker. The hull holds in the moisture and the increasing heat. Uh, Because you're not just heating the kernels to water's boiling point. You take them all the way up to 180 degrees Celsius or 356 degrees Fahrenheit. I'm being precise about this because this is the number. This is the number at which the vast majority of popcorn kernels pop. Uh, so, So pressure, okay, builds up inside the kernel all the way to 135 pounds per square inch. Which is, by the way, about twice as much pressure as there is inside of a bottle of champagne or semi-truck tire. Uh, Champagne reference. Yes. Yes. Um, The pressure overwhelms the structural integrity of the hull, and the whole thing bursts. If you mess with the hull, you'll wind up with a dud. You don't want a dud. You don't want a dud. Unless it's a milk dud. Uh, But why does the (laughs) kernel go off, Luffy? Uh, The trapped steam basically gelatinizes the content of the kernel. Uh, So when the hull bursts and the contents spill out, air is forced into that matrix of proteins and starches, creating a foam that rapidly cools into that solid fluff. And timing is key here. Uh, Heating popcorn too quickly doesn't give the insides time to gelatinize, but heating it too slowly will make the tip of the kernel soft, uh, allowing steam to leak out instead of building up. The distinctive noise that popcorn makes when it pops was only figured out for certain in 2015 when researchers out of France used high-speed imaging and audio recordings to take a closer look at popcorn. Uh, It's the noise of of water vapor escaping rapidly, amplified by the cavity that it's leaving inside the kernel. They also found that the kernels jump when they pop because the first, like, leg of expanding starch that escapes from the hull uh, and, and hits the pan or the bag will first compress from the change in pressure and then expand rapidly. And this action works like a spring or, or, like, or like your leg, vaulting the kernel into the air. <laughs> the, the researchers developed this imaging equipment not to study popcorn, but rather to study the physical dynamics of living plants, like how trees break during storms. They bent it towards popcorn to give physics teachers a fun way to demonstrate difficult principles to their students. Uh, they told the uh, L.A. Times... This literally gives an appetite for science. That's excellent. <sighs> mm-hmm. And it is a very popular snack food at the movies like we mentioned, but also more generally. When I was in Peru, it was served before a lot of my meals. It's yeah. kind of like, you know, your chips, they had popcorn. Uh-huh. In 2016, people purchased 1 billion, 145 million, 262,000, 29 pounds of popcorn. Huh. And Americans eat about 13 billion quarts a year, which comes out to 42 quarts a person. Oh, my goodness. I bet a lot of that's me. (laughs) Uh, Most of the world's popcorn is grown in the American Midwest, and the best time for sales is in the fall. 
uh, it's the official state snack of Illinois. State snacks. Mm-hmm. Still don't understand it. <laughs> You've got a lot to learn, Lauren. The popcorn industry comes with its own set of fun terminology. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The kernel is called the flake. Popability refers to the percent amount of popped kernels. The two basic popcorn shapes are butterfly and mushroom. Mushroom is a sturdier and uh, more often used in candy, while butterfly is bigger and more pleasing to the eye. So when you get straight up popcorn, it's probably butterfly. Unpopped popcorn are called spinsters, but they should be called bachelorettes. Right. Right? Yeah. And a quality popcorn (laughs) should yield less than 2% of those. And who could forget the bridesmaids or the kernels that partially pop? (laughs) Wow. I didn't know that we were going to run into such, like, weirdly gendered terminology in the popcorn episode. It's everywhere. We can make make everything weird. That's great. Mm -hmm. And, uh, hey, that's a great transition to go to a break for a word from one of our lovely and not weird sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express Card. And we are what you might call food explorers. We are so lucky that a part of our job involves traveling and trying a lot of the food where we go to travel and then coming back here and telling all of you good listeners about it. And through that, we have discovered some amazing dishes. Sure, yes. Like, I had never understood what poke really could be, and it is delightful. It is stunningly good. hmm Yeah, which we had a lot of on our trip to Hawaii. Uh, another thing from their passion fruit I now look for in literally every menu that I read. I'm like, yep, that one has passion fruit. Going for it. And then all of the moles, and especially the green mole that you heard us talk about recently that we had from in Las Vegas. In Vegas, yeah. Oh, or just steak basements. Who doesn't love a steak basement? Exactly. <laughs> well, um, if you are like us and you're willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people who, like us, are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Okay, so here's where we get into the history of popcorn, mm-hmm. which is not going to be a history of corn. No. Too much. Way too much. Yeah. We'll come back on a later date. Mm-hmm. All right. The type of maize that gives us popcorn was domesticated around 5,000 BCE in Central and South America. Uh, researchers think that all early corns might have been popcorn. Non-popping varieties would really only be developed later through cultivation. And it wasn't that folks didn't like popcorn and were trying to cultivate away from it. It's, it's just that popcorn is generally inedible when it's raw due to the uh, thickness and hardness of the hull. So you'd have to either grind it into a flour or pop it in order to make some use out of it. Ancient corn cobs found on Peru's northern coast suggest that people have been eating popcorn for over 6,700 years. Ooh. They most likely would wrap the corn and place it on coals or roast it in a fire. And it wasn't something they would have enjoyed frequently. Right. The evidence uh, seems to say that it was either a delicacy or just an occasional yeah. addition to the diet. Mm-hmm. Kernels and popcorn discovered by Herbert Dick and Earl Smith in 1948 in a cave called the Bat Cave in New Mexico. Not- Wait, that Bat Cave? No. Oh, are we sure? Okay. Not that bad care. Well, wow. still probably pretty interesting place. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the kernels and popcorn discovered there were carbon dated to 5,600 years old. Ooh. The kernels were in such good condition, they could still pop. They didn't pop them. They studied them. But oh. they could have popped them. Oh, man. Yeah. Circa 300 CE Mexico, funeral urns with images of a maize god show him sporting a headdress decorated with popcorn. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Signs of popcorn pop up all over Central and South America over the next centuries. Oh, no. Especially prevalent in Mexico, Peru, and Guatemala. The Weblo and Iroquois for sure consumed popcorn. French explorers wrote that the Iroquois placed kernels in pots filled with hot sand to pop them. I love all these, like... In innovation, ways to find to pop popcorn. Yeah. Um, according to a couple of historians, some Native American tribes believed each popcorn kernel housed peaceful spirits. Well, they were peaceful until you started heating out their house, which made them <laughs> shake the kernels with increasing <laughs> anger until pop, they'd bust out, leaving a cloud of steam in their wake. And I think I read somewhere, I don't believe this is true, but I read that like when you say someone's steaming with anger. that's Oh, the, that that's what it's about? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and that brings us to the early 16th century when popcorn was of particular significance to the Aztecs. Talking about the Aztecs again. Mm-hmm. Apart from snacking on it, they used popcorn as a decoration, as embellishments for ceremonies, ornamental decoration on statues of their gods. Bernardino de Sahagún wrote in his observations of popcorn's importance to the Aztecs, quote, And also a number of young women danced, having so vowed a popcorn dance. As thick as tassels of maize were their popcorn garlands. Uh, yeah, popcorn dance. Another written account by a Spanish observer of an Aztec ceremony described it thusly. They scattered before him parched corn called monoquitl, a kind of corn which burst when parched and discloses its contents and makes itself look like a very white flower. They said these were hailstones given to the god of water. Hmm. Yep. And there was even a word in the Aztec language for the sound of several kernels popping at the same time, totopoca. Speaking of the Spanish, after Cortes invaded the Aztec Empire in 1519, one of the spoils he spread around the world was popcorn. And slowly, people started to figure out how it worked. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
Felix de Zara encountered popcorn during his exploration of Paraguay, writing, Boiled in fat or oil, the grains burst without becoming detached, and there results a superb bouquet fit to adorn a lady's hair at night, without anyone knowing what it was. I have often eaten these burst grains and found them very good. <laughs> well, wow. What words of praise. Mm-hmm. As colonists arrived to the New World, the Native Americans introduced them to popcorn, a snack they adopted as their own, the colonists, and also sometimes added milk and sugar to as a sort of popcorn cereal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. First, first air-popped uh, uh, breakfast cereal. Yeah. Yeah. And also, also, sometimes they would pop it with some molasses to make something kind of like today's kettle corn. And... <laughs> Guess who enjoyed that whole popcorn as a cereal thing years later? Who? One John Harvey Kellogg. What? Yes, that Kellogg. He approved of something? He did. Heck. And his wife, Ella. She called it an excellent food. And John lauded popcorn as, quote, easily digestible and to the highest degree wholesome, presenting the grain in its entirety and hence superior to many denatured breakfast foods which are found in the market. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. Kellogg. Hmm. Always popping up. Oh, oh, I didn't even mean to do it. Oh, okay. <laughs> By the 1820s, popcorn kernels being sold under the names Pearl or Nonpareil. Never known how to pronounce that for sure, but it's the same word used for sprinkles mm-hmm. in the eastern U.S. In 1848, John Russell Bartlett included popcorn in his Dictionary of Americanisms. Despite being a popular snack in the colonies, they found it not only tasty but entertaining. You had to get your entertainment somehow. (laughs) In the 19th century, people didn't really have a great way to pop popcorn. They tried all kinds of things, though, including throwing kernels in hot ash, into kettles of hot lard or butter, or into these wire boxes attached to a long wooden handle, and then you'd stick them over a fire. That was the most popular way. Mm -hmm. Enter. Charles Creters of Chicago's Seas of Chicago Sea Creters and Company. That's a lot of seas. Mm-hmm. In 1893, Creters showed up to Chicago's World Columbian Exposition with drumroll, please. I don't know if you could hear that, but it was there. A mobile popcorn machine. Scientific American described it like this. The apparatus, which is light and strong and weighing but 400 or 500 pounds, can be drawn readily by a boy or by a small pony to any picnic ground, fair, political rally, etc., and to many other places where a good business could be done for a day or two. (laughs) Creters was the owner of a candy store, and he got the idea for the mobile popcorn machine after working on improving his peanut roasting machine. Hmm. Both were powered by steam, and by 1900, he brought horse-drawn popcorn wagons to the scene. (laughs) Uh, And Cracker Jacks. Cracker Jacks, which is, for those of you who don't know, it's the snack. Um, It's a mix of molasses-covered popcorn and peanuts. It debuted in the 1890s. Um, That name, by the way, probably comes from the popular slang at the time, meaning first-rate or excellent Cracker Jack. Cracker Jack. Yeah. <laughs> and the song Take Me Out to the Ball Game with the line Buy Me Some Peanuts and Cracker Jacks came out in 1908. And we still sing this at baseball games in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. What are you singing at baseball games in other countries? Let us know. Exactly. I, I had that thought as, as, as I was singing. Mm-hmm. The American Popcorn Company was founded by Cloyd Smith in Sioux City, Iowa in 1914. And they released America's first popcorn brand, Jolly Time. Jolly Time. Jolly Time. They started selling it in cans in 1925 with the ambitious slogan, Guaranteed to Pop. Oh, yeah. That's not what it was at the time, really. No, it really wasn't. Due to its low price, relative abundance, and ease of preparation, popcorn experienced bumps during times of hardship, like the Great Depression and World War II. 
In fact, it was one of the few businesses that thrived during the Great Depression with stories like this one. One Oklahoma banker, newly out of a job after his bank closed shop, bought a popcorn machine and started selling it outside of a theater. And from that alone, he made enough money to buy back three farms he'd lost in two years. Huh. That's kind of stunning. Yeah. Uh, and this all ties into how popcorn became like the ultimate movie theater snack. Right. So how did that happen? Well, at first, movie theaters really turned up their noses at the idea. They were not excited about it. They didn't want people getting popcorn all over their beautiful auditoriums. They wanted it to be a place for the elite, attracting all those rich moviegoers. And they didn't want the loud munching of popcorn or the unsightly trash it would generate impeding that. In 1927, though, the talkies, or movies with sound, start gracing theater screens, which meant a wider audience, since viewers no longer needed to be illiterate to enjoy a film. Mm -hmm. And by 1930, 90 million people a week were going to the movies. Theater owners were thinking of ways to capitalize on this, and with the introduction of sound, selling snacks didn't sound like such a terrible idea anymore. Mm -hmm. But still, the potential for mess really concerned them. Uh, sometimes hawkers would go around the theater owners <laughs> and walk up and down the aisles selling popcorn. However, the Great Depression changed that. People could still afford to go to the movies, and they could also afford a 5 to $0.10 cent bag of popcorn. Uh, you know, one of those small luxuries, like a, like lipstick right. or something like exactly. that. Exactly. Right. Um, for the theater owners, they could get years of popcorn from a $10 bag of kernels. Street vendors with their own popcorn carts camped outside of theaters to sell bags as patrons went in. This is one of my favorite facts of the episode. This practice was so rampant. Movie theaters had signs that requested moviegoers check their popcorn with their coats. What? Check your popcorn. Check your popcorn. If there was a sign up now, like, <laughs> there's been times where I've had, like, popcorn in my purse at events and i got to check my popcorn. Um at the time, most movie theaters didn't have the ventilation to house popcorn machines, but they couldn't ignore the siren's call of popcorn profits <laughs> as more and more of their customers walked in with bags of the stuff. So they leased what they called lobby privileges to vendors, char charging them a daily fee to sell popcorn in the lobby. This arrangement saved a good chunk of theaters from going under during the Great Depression. But that didn't stop theater owners from looking for ways to get rid of the vendors and making their own popcorn and massively increasing their profits. Uh, one example of how lucrative the popcorn business could be in theaters, mm -hmm. uh, Dallas movie theater chain invested in popcorn machines for 80 of their theaters, but in five movie houses they considered their best, they abstained, believing it would tarnish their fancy pants reputation. The ones without the popcorn machines almost went under in the next two years, while the theaters with the popcorn machines saw their profits shoot way up. Movie theaters realized this popcorn thing and snacks in general were where the money was. Uh, it's so, so popcorn basically, like, made the movie industry possible. Yeah. It, it's, they're so tied together. Uh, this growth couldn't be sustained, however, and theaters saw a steady decrease in profits in the 50s and 60s. And what was to blame? The television. More and more Americans were staying at home and watching the boob tube in the comfort of their own home, at their home, in their home. <laughs> uh, and they were doing this rather than going out to the movies. And this meant trouble for popcorn, too, because it wasn't easy to make it at home. Yeah. Yes. In 1953, Easy Pop appeared in our <laughs> grocery store shelves. All you had to do was place the covered aluminum pie plate looking thing over a heat source for one minute. 
The aluminum foil covering would kind of balloon out, and voila, popcorn. A little later, they changed their name to one you might recognize, Jiffy Pop. <laughs> and this always makes me think of the movie Scream. Oh, yeah, that, that, opening, that opening scene. Yeah. Poor Drew Barrymore. Poor Drew Barrymore. Oh, I wanted to put in here uh, one of the notes that I found while I was researching. Um, foodtimeline.org has this clip from a uh, 1962 issue of the Chicago Daily Tribune which describes a package of, of this one brand of popcorn, TV Time, that included a feed bag for kids to wear. Uh, it was like a plastic apron with this big pocket across the front, so I guess you could carry your popcorn around with you? I mean, I would. <laughs> uh, the, the writer was suggesting a second use for the apron as like a trick-or-treating accessory. Feed bag for, you, you know. It sounds... Um lovely and i'm sure you you were the coolest kid on the street if you went trick-or-treating with wearing one of these that on. oh yeah but you've got your popcorn in one pocket yeah and candy in the other i mean clearly you have to organize these things. oh yeah yeah you got to oh but that's a good that's a good you know you know keep keep yourself uh sustained for the entire trick-or-treating that's adventure. true you could last right? a lot longer yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> uh meanwhile uh farmers and food scientists were busy working on growing the the least wasteful best popping popcorn possible uh, the first commercial popcorn hybrid was released in 1934, and the uh, USDA's Bureau of Plant Industry got pretty heavily involved to help out. Uh, between the 1950s and today, agricultural research would reduce the rate of unpopped kernels by 75%. Ooh, wow. By the 1970s, more and more American households owned a microwave. And as you might guess, this was a big deal for in-home popcorn making and eating. Orville Redenbacher. That Redenbacher? Yep, that Redenbacher. Uh, this is a family of farmers that survived through the Great Depression thanks to popcorn. They released their namesake popcorn in 1970. By 1981, microwave popcorn was commercially available with General Mills snagging the first patent for the microwave popcorn bag. Hmm. The association of movies and popcorn didn't go away once it became easier and a lot more common to make popcorn at home. No way. If you look at the packaging of a lot of microwave popcorns, they might have things like film strips on them, or they might be called movie theater popcorn, or they might advertise directly with movies, or in commercials or promotional images for things like Netflix. The viewers in these things are often eating popcorn as they watch whatever they're watching. Not only that, but this relationship has changed the type of popcorn we're more likely to eat. What? Mm-hmm. Pre-movies, a majority of popcorn sold came from a variety of white corn. But those sneaky movie vendors liked the yellow variety because it was bigger when popped, meaning you got a lot more volume for less money. Mm. And since it was yellow, customers thought it was covered in butter and thus more appetizing and worth more. Oh, wow. Yeah. It reached the point where a lot of people wouldn't buy white popcorn in stores because they didn't think it would taste as good as movie theater popcorn. Wow. And that persists to this day. 10% of commercially grown popcorn is the white variety. The rest is that yellow yellow flavor flavor yeah (laughs) yellow variety it's in your brain oh my goodness uh to this day popcorn and other concessions are the primary drivers for profit for movie theaters with an estimated profit of 85 percent 46 percent of total theater profit wow all from all from the concessions a lot of which is popcorn all right so that was our popcorn history we do have some popcorn science for you but first we've got another quick break for a word from our sponsors This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. 
Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card. And we are what you might call food explorers. We are so lucky that a part of our job involves traveling and trying a lot of the food where we go to travel and then coming back here and telling all of you good listeners about it. And through that, we have discovered some amazing dishes. Sure, yes. Like, I had never understood what poke really could be, and it is delightful. It is stunningly good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which we had a lot of on our trip to Hawaii. Uh, Another thing from their passion fruit I now look for in literally every menu that I read. I'm like, yep, that one has passion fruit. Going for it. And then all of the moles, and especially the green mole that you heard us talk about recently that we had from Las Vegas. In Vegas, yeah. Oh, or just steak basements. Who doesn't love a steak basement? Exactly. Well, um, if you are like us and you're willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people who, like us, are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. And we're back. Thank you, sponsors. So nutrient-wise, popcorn is a whole grain, and it's 30 calories per cup for air-popped and 35 for oil-popped. But this is the homemade stuff. Important. Not the movie theater, baseball game, variety. Different. Yeah, yeah. A, a, a word on that in a second. But, uh, but, but you know, popcorn being a grain is mostly low-sugar carbohydrates with a little bit of fiber, plus about 10% each fats and proteins, makeup-wise. Uh, those fats, by the way, are the good fats. It's not going to fill you up for very long, but it is certainly not the worst thing for you. Uh, Nutritionists tend to like it because the volume and the crunch can make it feel more satisfying than similar snacks that have higher caloric punches. Of course, what you do with your popcorn once it's popped does make a huge difference. If you're using it mostly as a vehicle for salt and butter, you're going to be eating a lot of salt and butter. Yeah. Yeah. That's not a particularly bad thing as long as you don't have a condition that makes it advisable to avoid salt. If you're in good health, salt is basically fine as long as you remember to hydrate and um, as long as you're using real butter, which is a high-calorie food, but totally fine in moderation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, But hey, speaking of real butter. 
Yeah, since we talked about movie theaters and popcorn so much, uh, we thought we should briefly talk about the yellow sludge called, in heavy quotes, butter. Butter. (laughs) Offered as a popcorn topping at movie theaters. Okay, so first, that whole health thing. Uh, This doesn't hold true for the popcorn you get at the movie theaters because it's usually popped in coconut oil and then it's heavily salted and often topped with butter. (laughs) For a medium bucket of popcorn, which holds about 20 cups, you're looking at 1,200 calories, 60 grams of saturated fats, and 980 milligrams of sodium. That's That's a bunch. Yeah. For reference, the recommended daily value of saturated fats for the average adult is 24 grams. Hmm. So a third of that, or yeah. half of that, I see. Yes. Uh-huh. That 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 second thing that I said. Right. right. And that butter, uh, it's actually a mixture of flavicol and butter flavored topping. Yep, butter flavored topping. Yes. Flavicol is a fine salt that's been colored yellow to give popcorn the illusion of being coated with butter. The butter-flavored topping is a combination of things like beta-carotene, soybean oil, and, of course, buttery flavoring. Hmm. It's some type of chemical that mimics butter flavor, and it's 20 more calories per tablespoon than real butter. Yeah. I'd, and that's, you know, you, different types of fats interact with your body differently. Um, it's generally best to avoid anything that's labeled as containing trans fats or partially hydrogenated oils, um, which is what this stuff is made of instead of butter. Yeah. Because it's shelf stable. We talked about that and also about artificial butter flavoring a little bit in our butter episodes of which there are two. We had a lot to say about butter. Um, basically, there are two compounds that make butter taste like butter, diacetyl, and acetoin. In old-fashioned cultured butter, these compounds are excreted by friendly lactic acid bacteria during the process of turning cream into butter. But if you want to add butter flavoring to less expensive non-cultured butter, or in the case of movie theater, butter, uh, some kind of vegetable oil, you've got a couple options. Um, You can either farm a whole bunch of bacteria or yeast and then collect that diacetyl and acetoin. Uh, Those are called natural butter flavorings. Or um, you can synthesize those molecules or others that will create similar flavor experience like acetyl propionyl in a lab, thus producing what's called artificial butter flavoring. And uh, you may have heard about artificial butter flavoring, especially in microwave popcorn, causing health problems. That is a real thing, but the story kind of got sensationalized in the press. Uh, Factory workers who breathe in like a whole lot of diacetyl do have an increased risk of this uh, one particular type of lung disease. And there was this one guy who was popping like two to three bags per day, every day, for a whole bunch of years, who successfully sued a lot of uh, microwave popcorn producers after contracting this disease. It's called popcorn lung, which sounds adorable, but it's not. And there is no risk in in breathing in the amount that you'd aerialize from popping a bag of popcorn in your microwave like every now and then. Uh, Like, consider sticking with the types of microwave popcorn that feature little to no flavoring. Add whatever flavorings you want after it's popped. Also, uh, make sure your kitchen is well ventilated if you're worried about this kind of thing. I mean, that's a good tip all around. Like, well ventilated kitchens are a cook's friend. Yeah, definitely. Also, concerning microwave popcorn, will it give me cancer? Oh, I hope not. 
Okay. Well, I, that's sort of my short answer. Yeah. It's, 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 oh, geez. I hope not. Um, but the long answer, oh, okay. The long answer is that for many years, one of the materials that the food industry used in a whole lot of wrappings was, oh, I did this to myself, um, perfluorooctane sulfonate, also known as PFOS because it's so much easier to say. PFOS is great because it prevents oils from leaking out through paper products. It's also terrible because it can leach into your food and mess with your hormones and contribute to thyroid disease and various cancers. Oof. Yeah. Much of the food industry voluntarily started phasing out PFOS starting around 2011 in light of all of this medical research. However, sort of similar stuff like uh, polyfluoroalkyl substances, uh, PFASs, are still used and can also leak into food and have been associated with some negative health effects. Um, the FDA says that they are safe at the levels at which they are used, but some researchers are still calling for more work to be done. Again, the, the, the real danger here is to folks who work in manufacturing and get exposed to, like, huge amounts of these chemicals. But if you're concerned about this, um, just pop your popcorn the old-fashioned way, not in a microwave, but on a stovetop. That's my preferred way. Yeah. Pretty delicious that way, too. Mm-hmm. And I, <laughs> I uh, wrote microwave popcorn button question 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 <laughs> exclamation point exclamation point exclamation point <laughs> and then just left Lauren to uh, <laughs> answer uh, for me. Okay, all right. So on, you, you've probably seen on a microwave a microwave popcorn button. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, on most microwaves, this is just a timer. And like maybe a power setting that may or may not help you avoid burning the holy heck out of your popcorn. Um, however, in the incredible future, your microwave might be able to listen to your popcorn to help you out. Ooh. In 2014, Whirlpool released a microwave that could monitor the time between kernel pops. And uh, it would automatically shut off when that length hit – that length of time hit, hit a certain length. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, most Most brands of microwave popcorn – in the meanwhile, I uh, recommend just doing that the old-fashioned way with your ears. Well, that's always cracked me up that on the instructions of popcorn bags, it's like, do don't, not don't use the popcorn don't button. Don't use that button. What is it for? What are you thinking? <laughs> Silly you. <laughs> um, and popcorn was, uh, I think, the I can't remember his name. It was a general who helped um, invent the microwave. Uh, he used popcorn in a oh, lot of his tests. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, and he I think he was the one that was like, there should be a popcorn button. Anyway, for World War II, they were working on this. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's starting at a very high level. That's like... Yeah. You're just diving right in. Okay. Really, good. yeah. Yeah. Oof. All right, so that's our science segment. Yeah. Which brings us to some random slash culture stuff. Like popcorn balls. Popcorn balls. I have never done this. Have you done this, Lauren? Um, Not... First, I've received a popcorn ball. Oh, have you? As a gift from family members who made them themselves. Okay. Well, this is a practice that started in the 19th century, and it was all the rage into the early 20th century. If you couldn't guess from the name, it's like balls of popcorn. Uh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're usually um, uh, lightly sweetened um, with uh, sugar or molasses of some kind and kind of – it's it's all sort of into, – into this sort of ball shape. Mm -hmm. That sound is <laughs> – Ball shape. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> the first known written recipe appeared in a 1861 cookbook. Popcorn was a popular holiday decoration, largely due to its cheapness and also its color. This was especially true around Christmas, where it was also um, a fairly common gift. 
From this sprung up a whole industry of popcorn ball makers. Nearly every cookbook had at least one popcorn ball recipe with the dawn of the new century, and Victorian families used them as decoration. So it, it had a, like a, a very brief but very uh, intense, yeah, yeah, popularity. Yeah, um, and there's such a fun story about how the first popcorn ball was made. This is like a truly tall tale kind of thing. Yes, it's excellent. Okay, um, so this story comes to us from the Cornhusker State of Nebraska, where another big crop is sorghum. There was one summer during the mid-1800s that was so wet and so hot that the rain combined with the sorghum to make a syrup that drained off to a nearby cornfield, and on that field, the heat caused the kernels to dry out and pop. Ah. And then a tornado came through. Oh! <laughs> yes! Out of all of this weather chaos, the farmer found a 100-foot mountain 30.5 meters of popcorn <laughs> balls. Lucky. But no another twist. Oh, no. Grasshoppers ate all of them, devouring the proof. Oh. Yeah. What but, a day. But the secret of, of the popcorn ball was revealed to him. It was. And some grasshoppers. <laughs> grasshoppers eat popcorn balls? Anyway, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, They'll eat just about anything, right? Yeah. Yeah. According to the 2015 edition of the Guinness Book of World Records, the largest popcorn ball ever created comes to <laughs> us via the 2013 Indiana State Fair. And this behemoth was 8 feet in diameter. Huh. 2.5 meters. Yeah. And weighed 6,510 pounds. Oh, my goodness. Also, this was probably a duh to everyone else, but I had no idea Guinness Brewery was buying the Guinness Book of World <laughs> Records. And I freaked out a little bit about it. Yeah, I think Annie, like, texted me or something. Or she maybe there was an email. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It was just like... It was just a the surprise face emoji, like, 15 times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah should have known. Um, and aside, popcorn the game, both classroom and trampoline. I've never... What, what What's the popcorn game? What? Um, <laughs> popcorn in the in classroom is when... Um, <laughs> Usually, like, if you're reading something aloud in class, um, you pop to someone. So you're reading, and then oh, when you want okay. to be done, it's popcorn. Um, and it was annoying because there's always that one kid that read, like, one sentence and then popcorned over to you. Anyway, and on a trampoline, it's when you, like, you wrap your arms around your knees and you make yourself into, like, a kernel, like a small, tiny little ball as much as you can. And then your friends try to make you your arms Bounce. come apart and you oh. bust open into popcorn. That's great. Yeah. And and only slightly hazardous. (laughs) Only slightly. (laughs) (laughs) So that's popcorn. That's popcorn. Man, I've got to, I'm going to have to go get some popcorn and I'm not upset about it at all. Yeah. No, this is, this is one of those food cravings that I, I think is totally okay. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. And this brings us to listener mail. Listener mail. Yeah. Oh, um, uh, John wrote in on Facebook with a correction for us. Um, the math for the expensive rice in our rice episode was done in the wrong direction. As a kilogram is 2.2 pounds, the price per pound is a little bit less than half of the kilogram price. Uh, therefore, the $109 per kilogram rice mentioned in the podcast would cost around $50 per pound, not $240 per pound. Still not cheap but not nearly as bad as it came off sounding. Yes. So thank you. Thank you, John, for, for checking my math for me. Always always write in with corrections if you find something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Aaron wrote in 
I am a professor at the University of Massachusetts Lowell, and one of the courses I teach is engineering ethics. During a unit on sexism in the field, as the E in STEM, STEM, engineering suffers from women being underrepresented, I begin the class by sharing the saga of how quiche became feminized in the 1980s. When I polled the class of 39 men and one woman, I found that roughly 95% enjoyed quiche, thus proving how ridiculous and arbitrary it was to gender quiche. One of the men in the class even referred to chick drinks, which he said he enjoyed thoroughly, as another example. Sexism and alcohol, y'all. The kids, they get it. Oh. The quiche example helps me highlight the arbitrariness uh, with which women are told they are not suited for engineering, leading to a truly educational, dare I say, savory experience all around. <laughs> yeah, that's that's great. Um, and uh, Chris sent us this. So I listened to the new episode about turkeys. The talk about their aggression led me to recall a story about their scarier cousins, geese. I was hanging out around the pool at my dad's apartment complex and noticed a rather large nest near the edge of the pool's area fence. Suddenly I heard a hiss and looked to see the mother goose, pun intended, coming straight at me. Needless to say, I ran fast. After that, I learned to never mess with those giraffe-neck terror birds. Anyways... Thank you for indulging this trip down scary memory lane. I have to say, I think we've gotten at least 10 <laughs> stories about encounters with big birds. So, um, you know, Lauren, it sounds like your fears. Not... I'm, they're, they're not unfounded. No. Yeah. <laughs> Swans in particular. I, uh, one of my, one of my cousins had this, had, had swans in her like, like local development, uh-huh. uh, a canal and. Yeah. Not a fan. No. Not a fan. <laughs> they wanted my snacks more than I did. Wow. Well. And they you had one of those like. They were willing to do anything to get them. <gasps> if I had been wearing them on my body, I would be dead right now. Are you kidding? Oh, no. The feedback wouldn't have helped. No. Feedback. Um, no. And a, a lot of people have written in and asked about um, the Miracle Berry uh, because um, I went and did it. Oh, right. Yeah. And Lauren couldn't go, unfortunately, but I sent her many pictures and probably too many texts about how, <laughs> how weird it was. How bizarre. Yeah. So what, what, what was it like? Tell us. It was weird and bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> it was really cool. Uh, I, you know, you pop the berry and you swirl it around in your mouth for like one minute. And then I got a plate of um, tart, uh, like grapefruit. Lemon, lime, goat cheese. Kiwi, I think, was on there. Kiwi, strawberry, and then fries and hot sauce. And then Guinness with lemon sorbet, cheap tequila, (laughs) and an apple martini. And it was amazing how I kept looking at everything I was eating like, is this really? (laughs) What? What? Oh, cool. The, The lime was the sweetest, I thought. It was really sweet. And um, the hot sauce did taste like like a donut almost, wow. like a spicy donut. Uh, but my favorite was the goat cheese, which somehow tasted like shortbread somehow. Huh. And it was paired with the strawberry, so it was like a strawberry shortbread. Strawberry shortbread. It was wow. really good. Wow. Um, and the tequila. That was crazy. It, it was so sweet. Huh. Sweet tequila. Sweet tequila. Anyway. Yeah. It, well, was, yeah. it was really cool. It was really neat. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, that's um, uh, a local restaurant, right? Uh, yeah. Provided provided this menu, mm-hmm. and so if uh, would you, would you recommend that people go have this experience for themselves? I yeah, I would. I mean, if you're into it, 
I wouldn't, you know, it's not for everybody. And he, the guy who was like guiding me through this said that some people get mad. Like they're almost mad. Like, what is this? This isn't right. <laughs> so if you're a person who might react that way, then no. Maybe skip it. Yeah. It is, I will say it is a little expensive mm-hmm. just because the barrier we talked about in the episode, um, it's not the easiest thing. Yeah. To find, but yeah, if you're interested in it, uh, I definitely enjoyed it, and it was so bizarre. I knew it was going to happen, and I was still like, "What, what is this? Why?" <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So yeah, yeah thank, thank you. you, thank you to the listeners who wrote in. Uh, you can write us as well, and we hope you do. Our email is foodstuff at howstuffworks.com. You can also find us on social media and get in touch that way. Uh, we are on Facebook and Twitter at foodstuff. HSW stands for How Stuff Works. We're also on Instagram at foodstuff. Thanks so much to our audio engineers. Dylan Fagan and Tristan McNeil. Uh, We hope that we will hear from you and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.